Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You're listening to Denver Orbit, featuring voices. I'm going to give you an awkwardly long and uncomfortable list of reasons why you shouldn't shave outside. Stories. Now, he was very outspoken about the effects of, of war on himself. The music from Colorado's creative community. Listen at DenverOrbit.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or most other podcast apps. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to the Real Nerds podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy. At Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there'll be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Comic Con 2019 and beyond. I am a co-host, Brad. With me is... Zach. And we have a special guest again. Corinne. Has returned. Yay! For, for another episode of Real Nerds. Y'all so. didn't kick me out. <laughs> what do you, yeah. you been up to? Oh, nothing much. Just creating blacklist lists? <laughs> yeah, I was telling them before the show started that I wrote this like 7,200 word essay about the blacklist and comparing red and liz as a potential couple to other may september pairings in books and movies and they got a good shot basically is what it boils down to and and how did you calculate that like what i don't know what a may september calendar whatever. basically it was like where the guy is at least 15 years older than the girl or the woman and more so they they were like 20 years older but um some examples was like the phantom of the opera and christine from phantom of the opera um mr knightley and emma from emma uh mr jarndyce and esther from bleak house so they're just kind of all over the board just a lot of different shows i've seen so based on other fictional data you process that this too yes good shot okay yes (laughs) All right. Side note, Brad, what do you think of my T-shirt? It says, for those of you listening at home, Midtown School of Science and Technology. Nice. Which is a reference to Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Eat it, Ryan. Ryan would. Ryan would yeah, be. If Ryan was here, he would have known that. Yeah. I, I did not pay that much attention <laughs> to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you don't know the name day. of the school in Spider-Man: Homecoming. I don't. What the fuck are you doing here, yeah. man? Yeah. Get your shit together. I'll leave. You guys finish up. That was a terrible impression of Ryan, by the way. Get your, get your well, thanks for together. wearing that in Ryan's honor. Uh, Ryan can't be here because he is doing his job. And James can't be here because he is also doing his new job. <laughs> Being, a Being, Being a husband. Being a husband. 
So uh, yeah, I hope we go to that apartment and he's in an apron dusting the dusting the house. So I'm like, <laughs> oh come on in. Well, you know what, Brad? Guess what? Since you're hosting the show today, you get your own T-shirt. Oh man, what the heck? Where? Yeah, wow, you dang, you bought that for Ryan though, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, no. wear, I'll wear it proudly. Yeah. It's so generous. Yeah, yeah. See, Ryan, if you'd been here, you could have gotten a t shirt. But that. the shirt was two sizes and it, too And it's large. the same one that I'm wearing from the mid the Midtown school thing <laughs> from Spider Man. I figured he would enjoy that. I want you to wear that now every show to rub it in his face. <laughs> I will. It's a badge of honor. So I told you guys I was bringing treats, but I also got you guys some things. Smaller things because I didn't find any T-shirts. I figured you guys would like, but yeah, there's um, no Jack Benny T-shirts readily I available. Have <laughs> refrigerator magnets. This one says, "Who gives a fox?" Nice uh-huh. with that, a picture of a fox on it. Is that a Fantastic Mr. Fox? I don't know. Probably hipster Fantastic Mr. Fox? David. And this Hill says T-Rex detection method, 100% effective, and it has the little thing of water from Jurassic Park. <laughs> Scientifically accurate. This one says make it so nice. with uh, Jean-Luc Picard on it. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. So Hell you yeah. guys are welcome Thank to you. those. And I got one for James too. And then I also have some Ant-Man things that I got at my movie that I don't want. So you guys are welcome to that too. Oh, is that the nice. IMAX ticket? Yep. I was thinking about getting that on Saturday. I don't know why they gave it to me. I didn't go to the IMAX. I think I initially said, oh, I'll take the 11 o'clock. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's $18. No, I'll just go to the 2D showing. Well, it was six away from being the last one in the set. So that's fine. You, just, you lucked out. I don't care. You know, most of the time, like a week later, they have a stack of those that they're just like, please throw these away. We don't want them. Not enough people bought tickets. <laughs> you should just go Sad. up to them and be like, what's in it for me? <laughs> nice. What's your shirt size? Because I think you should get a real nerd shirt. For bringing us all these goodies. Oh, um. Well, this is a small. Okay. Adult small, men's small, probably. Okay. Women's sizes are bonkers. Just yeah. don't even try. The thing is, we have like I don't know a ton of them left over from the con because all the women bought men's sizes. Yeah, it's way easier. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so you wouldn't mind taking a medium, I guess. Uh, we have if them. It fits. Yeah. All right, I'll bring that. If the shirt fits. Wear it. Wear it. Wear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly sure that I did not do that joke correctly. But you know what? No, no one's perfect here. But hey, this isn't a po- comedy podcast. This is a movie podcast. Mm. And every week we go see a new movie and we podcast that experience to the world. This week we saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. So stay tuned to the end of the episode and we'll tell you if we liked it or not and if you should go see it. Um, and we will spoil the movie after the trailer. Uh, but before then, let's figure out what's going on around town. Brad, hey, Brad. what's going on around town? <laughs> Fred, what's going on around t- I can't do the song. God, Ryan, why aren't you here? <laughs> Although, if this did become a podcast where you guys just, like, opened up goodies, I'd think that that could work. That's what the greatest generation does. Like, they talk about Star Trek for half the episode in the middle. They start just, like, opening up fan mail, and then I get really bored, and we, we, need, we need fans to do that. <laughs> What are those things called that you can like buy and they come as like the nerd box and it loot just has crate? A, loot crate? Yeah. yeah, maybe you guys could just a nerd, loot crate it. A real nerd crate. A real nerd. We just crate. assemble our own junk and then open it <laughs> for each episode. Here's the screwdriver. I well, found that's in my basically house. what we just did. So. Here's an IMAX ticket from Brad from this week from Ant Man and uh, 
Here's a pack of gum that Zach <laughs> ate half of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By half, you mean like I bit half of each stick and then put the rest yeah. in the pack. <laughs> I'm a terrible human being. Here's some uh, old Topps trading cards with a, a petrified piece of gum inside. But what is going on around town, Brad? Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Uh, this week, July 13th and 14th, uh, the Esquire is showing the Beatles' Yellow Submarine. It's the 50th anniversary, apparently. And then uh, next, the following week, they haven't announced yet, so uh, stay tuned. Maybe it'll be Yellow Submarine forever, man. You ever think of that? That would... Every I, every weekend is Yellow Submarine for the rest of the year, man. That, that would hurt, because I, I would never go back to the Esquire midnights. Probably me. But what would you say if I told you I was being followed by a yellow submarine? And then the drive-in is doing Ant-Man. And the Wasp. And the Wasp. Ah, uh, darn it. And the Hornet. The Green Hornet. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta look it up. I totally forgot. Isn't it Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, Deadpool, uh, Ocean's 8 and Deadpool 2, or Incredibles 2? No. Oh, that's, yeah, it's uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Incredibles 2, and I think Ocean's 8. Okay. So. All right, cool. Check that out. Um. Yeah, that's that's it. It's a slow week. Sweet. Unless awesome. you're going to the Alamo. Ooh. What's going on in the Alamo? Hello. Hi, I'm Kevin Smith. Hi, I'm Leonard Maltin. Hi, I'm Mark Hamill. Hi, I'm Elijah Wood. This is Seth Rogen. I'm Christopher Mintz-Bloss. I'm Martin Starr. Welcome to the Alamo Draft Night. Um, a lot because we actually haven't uh, talked about the Alamo for a little while. Um. If this comes up in time, you can uh, catch out So I Married an Axe Murderer in Littleton. It's one of their movie parties coming up. Uh, they haven't announced what they're going to give out as one of their props, but I hope it's an inflatable axe because that'd be hilarious. Um, you can also go to a quote along of Labyrinth on the 14th. Um, uh, uh, Littleton's Denver Film Club will be doing that summer, um, which I know nothing about. Uh, they did one that I wanted to see last week called Low Life, but could not make it. Um, Kids Camp is going to be doing Monsters vs. Aliens, the DreamWorks film. Um, uh, 37th Chamber, which is a monthly Kung Fu series, is going to do Mad Monkey Kung Fu, which I hope is just a bunch of monkeys doing Kung Fu, but it probably won't be. It'll probably be like a very serious Kung Fu film from the 70s or 80s. Um, and then Video Vortex is going to be Empire of the Dark, which I know nothing about. I can't even remember if I saw a preview for it before any shows in the recent years or in the recent uh, weeks. So, um, and uh, they're also going to be showing a Hook for the Aspen Grove Family Film Night, which is the outdoor um, thing that they do. Um, so you can check that out. Um, and yeah, um, that seems to be all that's really going on. Um, around this particular area not a lot of sloan stuff going on so anyway that's the alamo i'll jump ahead and tell you that uh august is pretty big because uh they have a sort of double feature going on at the sloan's lake location for some john clive van damme movies i heard that we've got to go uh get back into our mode of kumite for that that's right screening throw down the kumite you know and uh jump into a river at one point we got to do that you know um i think have it's... you ever seen uh uh, Bloodsport, Corinne. I have not. It's it's an amazing experience. He converted me to Brad. It's probably Van Damme's best film. It is because it's absolutely ridiculous and wonderful. 
and that man can kick really fucking hard. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think I could tell you a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Wasn't he in one that was like submarine? Like it was like Die Hard, but on a submarine. Uh, that's under siege with Steven Seagal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Then I don't know. You come into my submarine and ruin my submarine. <laughs> but anyway, I think it's August 26th. Uh, at 5 o'clock, they're doing Hard Target. And then uh, 7.15, they're doing uh, Bloodsport. Nice. And then... should have a Q&A with you at the end. <laughs> Just asking, like, what you think of this Jean-Claude Van Damme movie? <laughs> uh, that one's okay. Next question. <laughs> None of them are as good as Jean-Claude Van Damme's Dan Van. Watch it on YouTube. <laughs> uh, and then throughout August, they're showing all the Rocky movies, I, I assume in preparation for Creed 2. Oh, fuck me running. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, because um, I think that comes out in September, right? Creed that would make sense if they're showing them all that close. Yeah. I haven't even seen Creed, and I've only seen like one or two of the Rocky movies, but that looks awesome, and I really want to see it. Yeah. Maybe they're doing it like November and Christmas, but this was the only time that they could do it in the year. Because like no, because October is horror. November's generally like they they back off on their programming and uh, for November and December because of the holidays. I don't know. I mean, they can do what they want. So, but anyway, it's like I don't know what the days are, but they're not like close together. Kind of, they're spread out. But mm-hmm. each day it does two of the movies. So There'll be one and two. Another day is three and four. And then I'm bummed because five and six is the same day of the High Plains Comedy Festival mm-hmm. and Bliss Fest. So. The one I want to see the most is five, and I can't. Because <laughs> you don't have a ticket for it? Because it lines up over stuff I'm already doing. Uh, no, well, I know, but why is it five the one you want to see the most? Because uh, it's, like, the most hated one, I guess. Okay. I just didn't if know I if it was, like, like it. I don't know if it's, like, a turtle situation, like, you don't have the ticket for it yet. So. Oh, I don't have the ticket for any of them, so I was hoping to do all six, but... Oh, okay. Now I, I'm going to have two... In- I guess I have Balboa from 2006 already, but I'll, I'll go. But I'll just post a bunch of Instagram photos of me like taunting you about it. I might just buy the ticket and not go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pick it up and then yeah, I'll have it, but I won't. Have I'll buy the one it. right next to you and I'll be like, yeah, my friend couldn't make it because he's a poser. <laughs> Correction: Creed Two comes out November 21st. Wow! Hot damn! Who was right? Okay. Well, Steve's the mad genius of scheduling, so (laughs) I'm sure it makes sense to him. Oh, my God. Steve the mad genius beset. That's his wrestling name now. I was going to text him and ask, like, who do I have to sacrifice to get you to change that Rocky Five date? (laughs) (laughs) If he says my name, uh, you know what? Done deal. It it has to happen. Easy. Yeah. Um, Have you heard the news? (laughs) The news? What news? What's... What's what's in the news? The babe, Huey Lewis. What babe? <laughs> babe with power, power, power of love. It's a curious thing. He's trying to like impress me with his Huey Lewis knowledge because he knows I'm a Huey Lewis fan, it's but it's not working. Squ- it's hip to be a square. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that square. Who? What's the new? What's what? Show us the real news. Unspool that real news. That's the one. It's real news. Um. We're going to get a couple deaths out of the way, actually. Um, Sad. First off, um, uh, Robbie Muyer, not Robbie Muller, because I'm having a hard time pronouncing it, was a cinematographer for Vim Vendors, uh, Lars Van Trier, and Jim Jarmusch, and he died at 78 today, or this week. Um, yeah, he, he shot Paris, Texas, Dead Man, uh, Dancer in the Dark, Down by Law. Um, a, a lot of people uh, liked his work and whatnot. He also did uh, William Friedkin's film To Live and Die in L.A., which is is a beautifully shot film. So, um, 
hats off to Mr. Muller uh, for uh, giving the world a beautiful image of itself. Um, this just came out of the um, uh, off the wire today. Uh, a choreographer and film director, Alan Johnson, passed away. And he's not like particularly well-known within film, but he did do two films that are of interest to both me and possibly you, since you're a How Did This Get Made listener. Um, he uh, he directed the remake of To Be or Not To Be, which starred Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft. Um, and he also directed the movie Solar Babies. Um, so he's... Uh, and he also choreographed every dance sequence for Mel Brooks movies. Um, and he also worked on like tons of Broadway. He was uh, an Emmy Award winner. Um, it's a shame. He, he was a very um, he was a very talented man. His remake of To Be or Not To Be is actually the first uh, World War II based film to acknowledge homosexuality. So, um, as part of the Holocaust. So, and now thanks to you, we all know who he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, people people knew in the biz, the show biz. Uh, but obviously the biggest death of the week, week is uh, Steve Ditko, the co-creator of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, passed away at the age of 90. Um, a lot of love pouring out for him, too. Um, I... I I was... like I, A lot of the Spider-Man that I read probably was after Ditko, like, moved on from that character, except for, like, any, like, sporadic back issues... But I know this probably hit Ryan hardest, and I'm sure he would have loved to talk about it. Um, it would probably be cool if we have him call in and talk about it. But but he was a very iconic artist. Um, it gave us it gave us the look of Spider Man. Like without him, we don't have that suit. We don't have the way that the web shooters work. Um, we don't have him coincidentally drawing Green Goblin looking just like Willem Dafoe in his first appearance. I'm just saying they look very similar. Um, and we also didn't get Doctor Strange, which, uh, you know, I, I like that character. Um, and he also did a lot of uh, stuff for DC, actually. And he did the um, um, Michael Uslan um, on his uh, Facebook page talked about, like, the, the question or something like that. Oh, yeah, the um, question. Which is, like, and I guess I didn't know this about Steve Ditko because I don't know why I would have. But I guess he was into Ayn Rand's philosophy, so that and the question is apparently like heavy into that scenario. So I heard that influenced uh, Rorschach for The Watchmen. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, questions very much about conspiracy theories, at least from his appearances on the DC animated universe. I would not want to hear Alex Jones's obituary for Steve Ditko then, because I'm sure. I wonder if there was ever trouble with Dick Tracy's Breathless, because they're kind of like the same character design. Yeah, I don't know. That might be a question for Ryan or um, uh, some of the more hardcore fans. But hats off to Steve Dit- Ditko. He uh, gave us uh, in, in, two indelible characters, and was just, more importantly, was just like worked in that era before you really got the credit you deserved, and like like pushed forward. Like he kept creating. I guess like there's they found stuff in his uh, apartment that like he just kept creating um, up to his death. So. It's a terrible shame. He will be missed. Um, moving on to regular news, though. Um, did you watch the movie that Sony accidentally uploaded <laughs> to YouTube? No. Um, Kali the Killer uh, was accidentally uploaded to YouTube as the entire film on the Sony YouTube page. Um, and it brought a lot of people, like, flashbacks of the 2014 Sony hack and whatnot, I guess, in the news. Did they take it down right away? No, or? they took it down. Yeah, yeah. I try. I actually pulled. I when I saw the link, I pulled it up, and then they had already gotten the gotten it fixed because someone called it out. 
but there was like a window of like an hour or two hours where if you'd clicked on the link and it was still there, you would still be able to watch it. Any um, chance this is a publicity stunt? No, I think it's an intern who clicked the wrong button before going home for Fourth of July weekend. I don't know. You gotta like, you gotta pick that file out and put it in the upload box. Um, I don't know. Like, was anybody really like gung ho about watching Kali the Killer? I had never even heard of it. So. That's why it being a publicity stunt seems a little more plausible. But whatever. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's what it is. Uh, Top Gun Maverick news. Uh, Miles Teller is gonna be the son of Goose. Which I kind of want the movie down to just be called Top Gun, Son of Goose. <laughs> Son of a Goose. And he announced the him accepting the role Miles Teller did by uh, saying, I feel the need on Twitter and posting a picture. So, you know, good for Miles Teller. Yep. Some I hope fan service right there. Yeah. I hope uh, Tom Cruise asks him if he was rushing or dragging on that uh, uh, on that plane. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Um. Wolfman's Got Nards, the documentary that uh, Andre Gower and Ryan Lambert did that Ryan saw at Comic-Con, um, released their trailer uh, for the documentary. So I guess, like, I mean, I guess it means we're getting it soon. Uh, trailer looks fun. Since I didn't get the chance to see the movie, and I don't know, I don't think you did either. So, um, but uh, I like the Monster Squad, so. I, will... I haven't even seen the actual movie, so. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's no official release date, but hopefully it can come to us soon because that would be awesome. Um, and hopefully that interview will be up soon. Yeah, that's right. We've still got Comic-Con interviews from yep. Comic-Con 2018 that you'll hopefully be hearing soon. Uh, so um, the Sopranos um, prequel movie, which I didn't even know was happening, called The Many, Na- Many Saints of Newark, is um, uh, going to be getting into production. And what's more, it has a director, Alan Taylor, who was the director of Thor The Dark World. Um, any of you guys Sopranos fans? No. I love the show. Um, and I, the way they're describing it, it's kind of like a, a build-up to like the early days in the 60s and stuff, like of what was going down with like within that crime syndicate. Um, so they're not going to take characters from the show? Because, I mean, without Tony Soprano, I mean... No offense to the other actors, but I feel like that was part of the. He was the central character of the show, right? Well, I mean, it's that 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 show was so big that you could feasibly go in several different directions. Um, uh, Is it like about his family, like earlier generations of his family, or something? I imagine it'd be like Gotham, where you know they take some other character and then. It's uh, here. Here's the the description as uh, according to the rap. Uh, in the ninth, it takes place in the 1960s when riots swept through Newark, New Jersey, and conflicts between African American and Italian residents were at their worst. Characters from The Sopranos are expected to appear in the film, though it's not clear which ones yet. So then they ask the questions like, "A young Tony Soprano, or younger versions of his parents, or his uncle Junior, perhaps." Um, so, but yeah, um, but Alan Taylor actually has a history with the show because he directed a lot of episodes of the show and actually won an Emmy for directing um, one of the episodes. So. Do you direct the one where it just cuts off at the end? <laughs> you know, I actually don't know. I'd have to look that up. Hmm. But um, What was up with that? Did they ever explain what that was about? Because I know that that was really big when it first happened. Yeah, it was intentional. It's ambiguous. So, so the creators never said, like, oh, yeah, because he died. Or It's up uh, to you. There's a, you know, uh, actually, like, for Uber fans, there was a secret commentary where David Chase said, like, fuck him, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know why he did that laugh. It's just what he did. So anyway, um, 
Ryan will like this news. Uh, Chucky's coming back to the big screen because there's going to be a Child's Play remake. Um, MGM's at the forefront of it. Um, This actually kind of sucks in my opinion because I like what they're doing with Chucky right now with the direct-to-DVD stuff or the direct-to-digital, whatever you want to call it. Um, Like, even, like, Brad, I know you saw uh, Curse of Chucky, or uh, not Curse of Chucky, uh, uh, Cult of Chucky with uh, me and Ryan and whatnot, and not even being a like fun or, or like a follower of it, you enjoyed yourself enough with it, right? No, you didn't. Oh, I thought you did. No. Oh, okay. I think so. Oh, well then. I barely right. remember at this point. Oh, okay. Well, I like what they did with it, and I like what they did with Curse of Chucky, the one prior to that. So I don't know. It doesn't say anything about um, the uh, uh, the the original creator Don Mancini being involved, um, and uh, that would really suck. Also. Apparently, Brad Dourif will not be reprising his role as Chucky for the remake, which does make sense um, to a degree, because otherwise, what makes it different than any other child's play movie in the linear context? So, but yeah, then like, what's um, what's Freddy Krueger without Robert England? You know, well, I, that's always been a debate in my head because I don't think you need. I think you need Robert England for that, but if you're really trying to reboot it and like in, in, introduce it to people who have no idea what the hell A Nightmare on Elm Street is, it does make sense to recast. That being said, though, I think a lot of people who wanted to go wanted to see Jokester Freddy. They didn't want to see Jackie Earl Haley, star of Little Children, doing a very serious and dark take on that role. Yeah. Even though the first one's dark, so um, like I, I never. Like, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, only one person can play this character, but it is, like, one of those things where, like, you, you want to see that person play that character because they did it so well. So yeah. it's it's be hard for to, like, not see Brad Dorif. And this is going to sound a little disingenuous to people who um, do the masked killers, um, like a Kane Hodder, but, like, theoretically within that whole um, genre, like, if you've got a masked killer... You don't necessarily need the original person who donned the mask on the set the first time. Because they had, like, no personalities. Well, yeah. I mean, like, uh, or no personalities that were verbal or um, expression-filled. It's, like, done through movement. But, like, Freddy Krueger isn't a mask. So, but like, or a a skin mask, but it's, like, it's a character. It's a burned-up character. So I see where people want Robert England. But, like, I also keep in my mind, like, I can't remember how old he was at that point, but I think he's now in his seventies and whatnot. Like, I'm sure Freddie and Jason, Freddie first Jason, kicked his ass physically, um, even if he wasn't in, in like each shot and whatnot. You know, you still have to put on that makeup for hours. So, but I don't know. Um, we'll see how that all works out. Um, and then the last piece of news. Um, I guess there was a, a, a Twitter exchange between Christopher McQuarrie and Ryan Johnson regarding um, Last Jedi or directing Star Wars in general. And basically, Christopher McQuarrie said that after seeing all the vitriol and stuff like that and the hate or the hateful tone that the Star Wars fans are going towards, that he would never be interested in directing one. Um, and uh, Logan uh, Logan's director, James Mangold, um, as this essentially kind of warming again, warning against that extreme fan back, backlash. Like, so it's just another case of star Wars being a topic of, I guess, like for some reason debate, like it's a, it's a movie about people who have space lasers that go pew pew. I don't understand 
why it has to like be this way. But I mean, here we are. I mean, Mangold said at the point when working with writer writing and directing big franchises has become the emotionally loaded equivalent of writing a new chapter of the Bible. Uh, then a lot of bolder minds are going to leave these films to hacks and cor corporate boards. So I guess there's your, um, th th there's your, uh, your bottom line there. If you're going to complain about nothing like being original and unique, like uh, if you're going to complain about like that, that happening, then you, you really have no reason to argue with the choice that Ryan Johnson makes in the case of the way he wants to tell his story that he got hired by a company to do. I mean, if you want it made by committee, you could have done two things. You could either said, okay, we'll get a director that does not have any like unique vision or B we could have kept it with George. So, you know, like that's not a thing against George, but those films were made by a different type of committee in his own head. So, um, I guess Sorry, I'm just checking on the remake, remake the last Jedi bullshit. And I know I've, said this before on here but i honestly don't understand who these people are who hated this movie because in my own circle of friends and family i think maybe one or two people i know my dad hated it and like i think somebody else said they didn't really care for it but everybody else thought it was great yeah, well, I, I mean i love the <laughs> like movie. they hate on the force awakens for being too safe but then they hate on the last Jedi for taking too many risks or having women do things. I don't know. Well, you could say that about the force awakens too, Yeah, but, but, but I, yeah, I don't understand where is this coming from? I don't like, know, but sure. There are plot holes and you know, things that's like, okay, I think, you know, the whole side plot with Rose and Finn could have been tighter or some of the logistics with them running away from the first order fleet should have been, handled a little bit differently but that's like those are the nitpicks that you'll find in every movie like till the exactly. end of time exactly i mean and you like, could probably do something equivalent for that with like infinity war yeah i mean like at the end of the day like you can't like like i, I listen to a new podcast now called we hate movies and like one of the things is like even though they're like picking apart and nitpicking the details they're doing it with a sense of humor as opposed to a sense of vitriol like the, there's humor flowing through it these guys just flat out <coughs> are 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 angry about it or at least their online personas are um like mangold's response to a uh nameless uh internet user on twitter um who said they already have taken over or um owned the uh the filmmakers involved mangold said if you feel that is the case if you feel that the filmmakers are just corporate tools and powerless then why bitch at us in the case of ryan johnson and chris mcquarrie i assure you these cats are not owned they actually fight your battles behind the scene um and uh i mean it, like jj he was a huge star wars fan i mean he still is and as far as i understand like ryan johnson is likewise a huge star wars fan i feel like this is just this is just a case of people who really are trying to keep up an internet persona and then are just like they they automatically bash against anything that has even remotely like any form of change or like progression in it like I they know, want you yeah. want you, you want your pizza made the way you've always had it made you don't want to try to add a different ingredient on it or something like that like i don't know like that's the way you don't move on you know i guess i just don't i don't get it i know and a also lot that of was people... probably a bad analogy i don't know i'm just trying to like 
Yeah, I know. I'm trying to make sense of it A lot of people were upset with a lot of the changes to the lore, and it's like, but that's what Star Wars is about. They're always changing and adding in things, and, you know, like, originally in Empire Strikes... Before Empire Strikes Back, you could not move things with the Force. That was something that was added in in Empire. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, the prequels added in this idea of, like... You know, prophecy that someone is blood diseases, <laughs> midichlorians. Somebody's destined to balance the force, and I know a lot of people were upset at that. People hating sand. <laughs> but honestly, I think midichlorians. I'm going to defend midichlorians, y'all. Not in terms of like the concept, but in terms of like the logistics, because I think a lot of people tend to have this idea that like the force can only be like in these certain people mm-hmm. like whenever ray was introduced and everybody started theorizing like oh is she related to obi-wan kenobi is she related to the emperor which honestly i kind of like that theory mm-hmm. but the idea of the midi-chlorians is that anybody can have an overabundance of midi-chlorians and be force sensitive it can occur in any race among any people and that's what you see in the clone Wars series is that it just kind of occurs naturally it's like the mutants on the x-men you know it just happens it's a mutation mm-hmm. it's random i've always like I, i've always tried to like put it in a different context like <clears throat> and it might be a defense of the prequels to a degree but like it seems like throughout the entire prequel series like everyone kind of has their own opinion in the jedi council of what constitutes the will of the force or for that for for, for that matter like who would the chosen one would be and it seems like of all the people like talking about it, Yoda's the one who could give less about midichlorian levels. So I have this feeling that like midichlorian count and stuff like that is just like it's one system of belief within the Jedi Council. It doesn't make it the end all be all. It just might be like Qui Gon Jinn's reasoning for saying like, no, this we should train this whiny boy. Uh, you know, like I don't know, but like again, it's a it's a fucking movie about space wizards. We need to we need to. Stop bitching. It's if just, you don't like it, don't show up. Apparently a, you didn't do it for Solo anyway, so. It's such a huge part of the cultural zeitgeist now. Like, it's imbued in people's, you know, oh, you know, the prequels ruined my childhood or, you know, whatever, <laughs> that people get really offended because they feel like they're being personally attacked when something they love that exists in their own head in this way exists in you know, culture and media this way, and then they get all upset. And the the issue that I ultimately have with it is that, like, if you don't like a movie, fine, and you can and you can express that opinion. But when you're sending death threats or verbal abuse or like fucking like flat out bullying to the stars, whether it's um, mm-hmm. Kelly Marie Tran um, and her taking off her Instagram account, or as I've learned recently. Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar Binks, being driven to nearly committing committing suicide, like that's just fucking sick. Like that's that is like the attitude and the like motivate like the actions of a sick individual. If they're gonna send a message that is so hurtful that a man who is actually a really decent voice actor beyond Star Wars would want to take his own life. Like, I'm sorry, like that that to me is just you're you're flat out like you're you're beyond reason at that point. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry, we went off on a Star Wars tangent yeah, there, you know, but I, I love I, Star Wars. I just thought it was interesting because Lo- Logan the guy who directed Logan is doing Boba Fett, so you know, like yeah. this this was an interesting little crosshairs of directors going like, Yeah man, everybody sucks. Here's something that doesn't suck though. 
Um, it's just kind of a rumor, but I wanted to talk about something happy to finish off news. Uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg will work together again. It's just a matter of when, not if. In a recent interview with Simon Pegg, that's what he said exactly. I don't care what it is. I just want to see them work together again. I mean, that was a given, but, you know, there's no project in the pipeline, so. As far as we know. You can know. keep waiting. Also yep. in the news, I understand Brie Larson wrapped shooting for uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. they just She just posted that photo of the slate, and it. It was awesome. I cannot wait for Captain Marvel. I'm so excited. Especially after seeing our movie of the week. So, But anyway, that's news. All right. Let's find out what uh, Blu-rays are coming out. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Oh, crap. We have to hear more of my voice. Fuck. DVD releases and Blu-rays. <laughs> I'm just getting all the Zach out of the way so that we can... <laughs> oh, I see how it is. Enjoy <laughs> most of the show. Yeah, we don't want to hear about what you watched this week. Oh, gosh. I watched these what flowers What documentaries? <laughs> it's okay. I watch documentaries, so... <laughs> um, coming out to 4K and Blu-ray, um, A Quiet Place, uh, John Krasinski's breakout horror hit. Um, one of the best movies of the year, in my opinion, too. That so. I will never see. Why? Because I don't like horror movies. I'm like James. It's more of a thriller. It's a thriller. Ew. The monsters aren't scary. It's the tension around it that's scary. Mm. I don't know. Maybe one day. Of, the monsters are kind of scary. I hear good things, though. Yeah, and I'm lying. The monsters are kind of scary. They got big ass ears. It's awesome. Um, uh, also, though... Um, and actually, there's a steel book I meant to mention uh, that looks pretty neat because it looks like it's been clawed through. So, um, but anyway, you can uh, go ahead and get a quiet place if you haven't gotten it yet. Also, if you don't have the equalizer on uh, 4K, you can get that now. Um, so yeah, that's pretty neat. Um, we've also got some Criterion uh, releases: uh, Bull Durham, uh, the Ron Shelton film with Kevin Costner, and uh, Dragon Inn which is a film from 1967 that I'm not truly familiar with. Um, uh, also from this year, you can get Chappaquiddick, which had Jason Clark uh, playing Ted Kennedy. So if you wanted to see what was behind the whole Chappaquiddick incident, or what it was for that matter, you can check that out. Um, Lean on Pete, the A24 film with Steve Buscemi, um, and a Boy with a Horse is getting its Blu-ray release, so you can check that out. That's like one of two Boy with a Horse movies that came out at the same time. The other one's like The Rider. The Rider. I don't remember The Rider yeah. one. I, I knew Lean on Pete because they were pushing it hard at Littleton, but I just never had a chance to get it to, to check it out. But I'm between... not interested unless it's the horse and his boy from Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, boy and his horse. Um uh, Kino Lobor is putting out some classic uh, films. Uh, David Oselznik's The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, which I have never seen, but I have heard it parodied several times from the period it was released. So I'd like to uh, check it out and just out of curiosity. And also John Barrymore's uh, film with Catherine Hepburn, A Bill of Divorcement um, from 1932. You can check that out. Um, we've got, um, oh, we've got a third Big Fat Liar movie, guys, called Bigger Fatter Liar coming out to blu-ray so i'm not sure which one is uh getting dipped in blue ink this time but uh if you remember big fat liar and you said i want to see more of that i think you're the only person yeah I, I could give a shit um wait was that the the first one was the one with frankie muniz or something frankie right Muniz and amanda Bynes and oh, paul giamatti that's right paul giamatti blew himself in that movie so um Blue is in the color. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Arrested Development. And, guys. Yeah, ripping off. 
Hey, some people out here might not have seen it. <laughs> we don't want them having preconceptions about Paul Giamatti and what he does in his free time. <laughs> oh, God. I blew myself. <laughs> um, also, um, One Good Cop with Michael Keaton, which is a Michael Keaton movie I've never even heard of before. So um, that might be worth checking out, I guess. Yeah, I was watching the Dumbo trailer. Uh-huh. I think it had an Ant-Man, and it has Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton in it. I'm like, oh. Batman Returns reunion. <laughs> if they're on screen together, I want people to say that out loud in the theater. I awesome. hadn't seen that trailer before until I saw it on Saturday when I went to the movie. I was just very confused. I'm like, I don't remember this much happening in Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, the original it's cartoons, that's like not even an hour or something. 63 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I remember something about like him being taken away from his mom, and then there was like psychedelic elephants and then they're racist crows yeah i'm pretty sure that's the whole movie oh and he flies with his ears yeah so it'll be interesting to see what they add to it stereotypical crows the crows themselves weren't racist i don't even remember any people in that movie other than like maybe in the background i remember yeah. seeing the bottom halves of clowns that were going to ask their boss for a raise <laughs> oh i do think there's a scene where like clowns all pile out of a car yeah i don't remember yeah. I haven't seen Dumbo since I was like five. It's really fun. Where, it, Where is good. it? it it's it's really racist. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, I can't change what Walt Disney <laughs> did true. 70 years ago. Very true. I wish I could. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... I'd tell Greg Tolan to go fuck himself and we wouldn't have Song of the South. That'd be it. Yeah, I think that trailer played back-to-back with Christopher Robin and I'm like, they're just milking our nostalgia for uh, money. Uh, and you know what? They can do it all they want because that movie looks amazing and I cannot wait to watch it. What, Dumbo or Christopher thing? Robin? No, oh, no, Christopher Robin. No, I, <laughs> I'm I'm mad about Dumbo. I, I like Tim Burton, but I don't like what he's done lately. So it's been yeah, kind of disappointment after disappointment. So... But anyway, that's Blu-rays. Did you have you didn't have a problem with Beauty and the Beast though? Oh no. <laughs> but see, that makes sense why it's live action. But and Dumbo- also, it's a very popular property. I don't know if Dumbo is very popular. And also, I don't want to see them do any more remakes until we get a Rescuers Down Under. I need the Marahute scene. You want to you want a live action Rescuers Down Under? Yes. You don't even want the first Rescuers first to no, set up the world. No, just of rescuers. rescuers Down Under. Because <laughs> everyone knows that one's better. Oh, I like Although, the, the first one's a quiet little film. I like it. It's very sad. It's mm. like so dark. What is it with Disney and like really depressing movies? It's almost like he hiring Tim Burton. <laughs> Although, unfortunately, we won't have George C. Scott to voice McLeach. <laughs> what else you got, Zach? No, that's everything. Are you sure? As far as I saw on the Blu-ray.com, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff, but not terribly notable. Yeah, two and a, two and a uh, cop and a half. Two. I mean, if you're a Nicolas Cage fan, he's got like some movie called <laughs> Two One One, which is probably some emergency line that's not as emergency. <laughs> There's no Frankenstein created bikers this week. Not that I saw, no. Frankenstein created snowboarders. There's there's go to hell bastards. Brad, can we make that movie, please? (laughs) Yes. Frankenstein created snowboarders. Sure, sure, Zach. We can do that. God, please. Copyright Real Nerds podcast. No no Shaft Factory stuff. There's an arrow go to hell bastards. Oh, yeah. Oh, Detective uh, Bureau. Yeah, Detective Bureau 223 go to hell, you bastards. Um... 
But yeah, no, I think we're getting actually a lot of shout stuff in the coming weeks because I know we're getting in the mouth of madness coming out on the twenty fourth. So, um, and we're gonna be getting um something else too. I think some steel books are coming within August. So, all right, well that takes us to what we've been watching. So uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, what have you been watching? Oh, not Ooh. too much stuff. <laughs> um. I did finally get to go see Incredibles 2 on Sunday. You're one up on me. I haven't seen it yet. Um, granted, it's been a while since I saw the first one, but I think I like the second one better. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I, I thought the action scenes were really dynamic. I liked seeing everybody use their powers. The also, I thought the score was fantastic, especially in the final scene. Um I don't know how to. I don't want to ruin it for you, Zach. So yeah, I agree I that animation and uh, you know is amazing. I mean, I saw something where it compared because the new movie takes place right after the first one ends, mm-hmm. and they recycle some of the same parts of the movie, yeah. but they change the shots so they're more dynamic. Um, so that was pretty impressive. Like the the scene where um, Violet, I think it is, um, talks to the, the the one kid at the sports practice whatever like they they changed the camera angles and yeah. like obviously all the models are more detailed and it's it's pretty impressive like you wouldn't notice it unless they were side by side but yeah yeah and they even had like a little thing at the beginning where they had some of the actors and creators Brad Bird was on there and they said we know it's been 14 years <laughs> since we made this first movie but y'all need to shut up <laughs> we were <laughs> like we've been working really hard but we weren't trying to make one for a lot of those years <laughs> Um, oh. so really good movie. Nice. Um, I actually really liked the, um, like the design of the villain and just like the, the look of a screenslaver screenslaver. I don't want to ruin it for him. It's, it's who's the screenslaver is the mystery. What's a screenslaver? <laughs> yeah. What are you children yelling about? And I also, I don't know, like I said, it's been a while since I saw the first one, but I realized like. All the technology is set in like the 1950s and 60s, and I really like that because then it's like you're not losing it the farther and farther away you get. Like we watched movies from the 90s now, and we're like, oh my gosh, like dial-up internet that was so old. But you watch movies from the 50s, and you're like, oh, it's so classy, you know, like phone booths and car phones and things like that. You know, we don't, you know, somehow it seems more timeless if it's like 50s, 60s technology, whereas if it took place later it would feel dated kind of like a weird like timeless zone like kind of like shape of water does with um where it's got really high-end security cameras but it's set in the 60s actually i thought the security cameras were low end that's why they could move that one they looked pretty modern (laughs) i don't know it was a 30 million dollar movie i'm not going to complain anyway but yeah i i liked that too that it felt like it was grounded in a reality just not necessarily our reality Nice. And it kind of harkened back to, like, the silver and gold era of comic <coughs> book superheroes. So I recommend everybody go see it. Incredibles 2. Take your kids. Now I want to see Frank Miller's The Incredibles. <laughs> I got to watch it again because I saw it at the drive-in. And oh, it was yeah. a busy night, so I had to get a faraway spot. And I was just – there's a little bit of attachment when I can't be right up against the screen. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, go see it in the theater. Yeah. Nice. So I also – 
have been rewatching Sherlock by the BBC, mm-hmm. the one with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Are you all caught? You're already caught up, right? Yeah, I've seen all the episodes. I have no idea why. I just like saw something. I was like, oh yeah, Sherlock. Like that's a really good show. I should go back and like I just rewatched part of one episode, and then I was like, I'll just rewatch like any of the ones I feel like. Mm-hmm. So just, I think I actually started in like season four. Or, no, I started season three, then I went to season four, and now I'm back at season one. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, and then now two, and so I'm skipping around all over the place because some of them are not very good, but some of them are like amazing. <coughs> yeah, I dropped off after he jumped off that building. Like, oh, I just couldn't wrap my head around that. That's end of season that. two. Yeah. Season, season three, ha- like, I mean, it, it explains it as well as you can from a modern context with, like, because it's based on Conan Doyle's can- canonical work. Right. But. I think like season three jumps a weird shark. It's not like it's not a, like a shark that ruins the series, but I think it's it's a shark that I wasn't expecting, and it's one that I think kind of frustrated me. But at the end of the day, I didn't care that much. What's that? Um, it involves uh, um, uh, uh, Watson's fiance and her uh... whole her whole role in that final episode of the season. But then, like, they kind of revert. They revert in an interesting course, kind of, like, clean that situation up. And then they say, Moriarty's back. And, like, with that, like, text message nonsense. But I haven't seen season four or The Ooh. Abominable Bride, so I don't know where it goes from there. Okay, I was just about to say, season four, um, The f- the Abominable Bride, I just rewatched that last night. And it is weird. Like, parts of it are really good. And then it just kind of, I don't know how to explain it without giving it away. There are a lot of things going on, and until you know the full context, it won't make sense. And even when you do, you're like, huh? Okay. Like, okay, this is going to take some brain power to, like, okay, I like maneuver. Sherlock, I like Sherlock Holmes enough that I'll watch it eventually. <laughs> and then the f- I haven't seen the first episode of season four in a while. That was one I was intending to rewatch, but mm-hmm. I don't remember it being very good. Mm-hmm. The second one is pretty good, and the third one is <coughs> good, but I don't like the character they introduced to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it seems like... <laughs> That's it, the most I want to tell you without ruining it. I feel like it's kind of hard for them to keep a consistency with that show because of the actor schedules. Like at this yeah. p- at this point, they probably should have either ended it at two or three. But like I, I I'm glad that they're trying to keep it going because I do like watching them interact. But I do wonder at what point will it become stale? But because like any it's like, that's like anything with a BBC show unless it's Doctor Who like. Spaced is so amazing because it doesn't like wear on and drag on, drag drag on for years. You know, it's... and the, I think the concept of that show helps too, where you can regen the doctor regenerates, and so you can bring on a new actor to play the doctor, and you or can you tackle... can bring on a new companion, and you can tackle different subjects with Doctor Who. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a little bit more open ended in that regard. You can go into the future, you can go into the past, you can go into other planets. Like there's so much to work from. You can go and in Brad's with, mind. <laughs> yeah, with Sherlock, it's like set in the modern day. You have to have these actors, and you have to work from this. You know, Arthur Conan Doyle canon, mm-hmm. more or less. Well, I mean, like you could you can step out of it, but I think that the issue is if you step out of it you risk it becoming um, unwatchable like by like diehard fans. Like yeah. I think casual fans won't care because they'll just like those characters. But like one of the things that I will say, one of my favorite episodes in season two, uh, hands down, is their adaptation of Hound of the Baskervilles because I did not, 
I, I I love that story a lot, but I did not I didn't think you could do it in a modern context per se because it's so like heavily influenced by that like like that that ghost quote unquote like feeling. the gothic feel the gothic feel and what they did with it with the with the um uh infrared or I guess uh, the green the green vi- what do you call the uh, the green vision like uh for war and whatnot mm. like the heat vision stuff is pretty amazing so. Um, just, it's just, just night vision. Night vision. Yeah, sorry. Um, you looked yeah, at me for good. I, two, I kind of agree. <laughs> it seems like the ones that are the better episodes tend to be the ones that are closer to the original canon, mm-hmm. and the ones that, in my opinion, are weaker are the ones where they stray away from the canon. The way they handled Irene Adler in that uh, in season two is actually really intelligent. Like mm-hmm. I, I like uh, Rachel McAdams one in the in the Robert Downey Jr. ones because I think that's a, a good way to treat the character but the way they do it on Sherlock is much more intelligent because it it it, it kind of like it fills in a gap that I didn't think I wanted from a study in Scarlet so because I just think like it's a story <laughs> right so the last thing I watched this week was The Good Place oh have either of you seen The Good Place this is the Ted Danson Kristen Bell show right uh-huh. I watched the pilot and I really liked it Another um, situation where Ryan would be really beneficial right now. Yeah, yeah I know he's seen it because I know we've talked about it before, but have you seen it, Brad? I haven't, no. Okay, so you've just seen the pilot then? Yeah, so I know the like the basic premise, which uh, Kristen Bell goes up to uh, heaven, I guess. Like, it's been a while the since I've seen it. The good place. Yeah, the good place. They don't like say heaven because right. that's, in, that's actually pretty intelligent to do that. But she wasn't supposed to be there. And so it's her adjusting to life in the good place. And Ted Danson's... I can't remember. Is Ted Danson an angel or is he the god? Like He's the architect of that neighborhood that she lives in. So oh, he's okay. kind of like an angel. Like He's he's basically like the, the show's equivalent of an angel. Okay. In that he is in charge of this neighborhood in the good place that she lives in. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But like I said, it's been a while since I've seen the pilot, so... Well, you should watch it. Just All of season one is on Netflix. Hot damn. I cannot wait to watch Ted Danson's forehead do things again. So I pretty much rewatched all of season one and two. It It is a really quick show to watch. I think I watched How all many of, seasons are there? There's two right now. They're going to release three here in September. Are they still making release. that show? Yeah. Um, so it airs on NBC. First season's on Netflix. I think they're probably going to get the second season here, hope, hopefully soon. Um, and then season three will start airing in September, I think on the 27th. But it's a really, really good show. Um, I don't want to talk about it too much more than Zach already has, because honestly, I think it's a show where the less you know going into it, the more you'll enjoy it. Does, does it manage to move beyond like the the premise itself in an intelligent way? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes. All I know is that they cleverly uh, censor the swearing. Yes. Yes. Ryan said Holy that. mother forking shirt balls. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> um, yeah. So just to convey to you how much I love this show. Um, well, first of all, it's created by Mike Schur who is also co-creator of Parks and Rec, which I love, and Brooklyn office. Nine-Nine, which I enjoy. I don't. Was he a creator on The Office, or was he just a writer? Well, he's like a co-creator. What was, okay. what was his name again? I know he, was, he worked Moe's. on The Office. Oh, I know yeah. he worked on SNL at one point, too. But I know he was like co-creator on Parks and Rec, and I love Parks and Rec. Hmm. And he also co-created Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I also enjoy, not as much as Parks and Rec, but 
Um, You're the reason it got canceled, so <laughs> I think it got brought back too. Yeah, so. it's going to be on NBC now, I guess. Nice. But this show, you know, I like. I think James likes to say this a lot. Like, this is a show that was made for Corinne because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so intelligent, but it's also so funny, and it. I, for, at least for me, I feel like it's made me think about my life and about ethics and philosophy and the concept of the afterlife and, like, what do I believe is going to happen after I die or mm -hmm. any of us die? Right. Um, you know, it's like if a good place or a bad place existed, would I go to the good place? Would I go to the bad place? Like, whoa. Um, it's, it's so good, you guys. Okay, so... My favorite show of all time, TV show, is The Twilight Zone, the original one with... Um, Rod Serling. Rod Serling, yeah, yeah not the ones from the 80s. So that's my number one. You hear that, Forrest Whitaker? No one likes you. <laughs> yeah, eat it. Um, number two is 30 Rock. Number three is Parks and Rec. Right now, just counting season one and season two, The Good Place is number four. Nice. That's how much I love this show. It is... It's it's bright, it's witty. Um, I think it asks and answers a lot of good questions, and it makes. It, I don't know. It's like teaching me things. Like you don't realize <laughs> it's teaching you things, but it does. And um, so I also happened upon the Good Place podcast, Ooh. which you can find on like the iTunes store. Is it an official one? It or? is. There's it's no other hosted, podcasts online except for ours. Don't, don't <laughs> misinform people. It's hosted by one of the guest stars, um, Mark Evan Jackson. I keep wanting to call oh. him Mark Evan Johnson. It's Mark Evan Jackson. He plays Kevin on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He guest starred a couple of times on Parks and Rec. He was in Jumanji. <laughs> or Welcome to the Jungle, yeah. He played I, the I uh, principal. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't see it. But he is one of the kind of reoccurring characters on the show and he hosts the podcast in the very first episode they have Mike Schur on and they have him talk about kind of the creative process of what went into it what you know, happened with the pilot and the casting of Ted Danson and Kristen Bell and so they go through each episode correlates to an episode of the show so like the pilot was the so the, they talked about the pilot in the first episode the second episode of the podcast they talked about the f second episode of season one Third episode, they talk about third episode. So everything correlates. With everything correlates. week by week. Yeah. Um, and they, it's ongoing. So they just released their sixth episode of the podcast. And I'm partway through episode three. So really good. But do not listen to it until you've seen season one and two of The Good Place. Because they spoil Cause, the heck out of it. <laughs> because they talk about things that go on in the show. Nice. That you should find out for yourself when you watch The Good Place. And if you haven't seen it, get off of this podcast right now and go watch it, you turds. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that's this week, guys. Thanks for coming on, Corinne. <laughs> We're going to go watch The Good Place, I guess. Uh, maybe yes. we'll revisit Ant-Man next week. Who knows? I want the print ad to say, get off your fucking ass <laughs> to watch this show, Corinne. Assholes. <laughs> yeah, get off. Yeah, it's because they say assholes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But do it with the clever, the clever you phrasing. You know I'm trying to say ashole and not <laughs> ashole, right? <laughs> But yeah, I've, I love that show too much. I've seen every episode at least twice, probably at least three times for most of them. Nice. God, I love it. So good. Everybody go watch it. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, um, Mike Schur, like they can't credit people as creators of the American Office because technically 
Ricky Gervais oh, and because it was a British Steve Merchant show. created the original yeah. one, so they're really just developers. So yeah, he's, he's uh-huh. like there with Greg, Greg Daniels. Daniels and a whole bunch of it, Mindy Kaling and B.J. Novak. Like they're mm-hmm. all just developers of. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. You just he's, quite on the quest to find the Holy Grail. I mean, no. Oh wait, I did. <laughs> he has been a part of so many successful shows, especially for NBC. That basically how it came into being was NBC said, "You can do whatever you want. We'll run thirteen episodes." And so that's how he came up with The Good Place. He just said, I can do whatever I want. Cool. I'm going to write a show about the afterlife. And he did. He got the Seinfeld ticket. Like, you can do anything. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, then Seinfeld didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but Mike sure did something. So Cool. Cool. Brad, what did you watch? Brad, what did you watch? Hi, I'm Brad. I watched the turtle movie. It was great. <laughs> I watched a ton of stuff, so the less you derail me, the faster we can get through this. Okay. Um, I watched Highlander for the first time. Hmm. Haven't um, seen it. The best thing I can say about it is the Queen soundtrack. <laughs> is Sean Connery in that movie? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But like, he's not like the biggest part of it. It's it's really Lambert's film. Yeah. Um, mm. I think how, I can't remember how this game made did their episode on Highlander or Highlander 2 The Quickening. I probably would think The Quickening. But I don't think it matters because in high school I saw Highlander Endgame and I'm not like, I don't know much of anything about Highlander other than like you kill each other and there can only be one left standing mm-hmm. and you have to take off their heads to kill them. Um, so it's like The Hunger Games? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess more, yeah, more more on point, like narrowed down to its bare essence of you know, it's not really a game so much as um, so. There's, there's um, Christopher Lambert is, I guess, some Scottish dude. Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Yeah, um, he finds out one day after fighting the, the Kurgan um, that he is too a Highlander because he did not die when he was stabbed. And then Sean Connery shows up and explains to him, basically in, in an Obi Wan Kenobi role, you of like you have a power, um, and this is how you harness it. And he does, and then Connor McCloud lives for a bunch of years, and then the Kurgan kills Sean Connery, um, and then chases every other Highlander throughout the world, and down to Connor McCloud and him are the last ones, which can't be true because they made three sequels. Um, and then uh, they fight, and it's it jumps around a bunch, and it feels long as hell, and I was like, wow, how did this gain cult following? Because it's enjoyable it's enough. not deep it's a lot of disjointed scenes that don't how does anything gain a cult following I, I, it's gotta be the queen soundtrack because it makes the movie seem so much more badass than it really is like the fights aren't even that, like that interesting it's a lot of people just like banging swords together um and then there's lightning um and decapitations until, so until you said queen soundtrack all i could think was the room so like a, a bunch of disjointed scenes <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so yeah not impressed um not for everyone uh then i also watched uh let's see i do the new stuff for the old stuff i'll do the really old stuff so i guess amazon I, i've never really dug into my amazon prime video account before but they have a bunch of schlocky 80s and 90s sci-fi and horror films Hell yes that do. are on prime um Stuff like the toxic toxic Avenger movies, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, uh, a lot of trauma and like a lot of trauma stuff. stuff yeah. yeah. Um, so I think at some point I'm going to do like you guys are doing. Like you have a Clint Eastwood series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry has his White Coats and Art Ass Asshole. I think I'm going to do a, uh, pr- a series called Prime Cuts. I'm just going to go through all these 
supposedly terrible movies um, and see if there's any gold in there. Um, and so far, I've watched two. Well, I watched all the, the Toxic Avenger ones, but I talked about those a while back. Uh, Not all of them are trash, though. I mean, like, they're trash, but they're... Like, the they're... first Toxic Avenger's Charming. The yeah. second one, I actually have to revisit because I fell asleep halfway through. Three is as ridiculous and kind of unentertaining as two. And then four is actually better, but it's so offensive <laughs> right out of the gate. That's Citizen Toxie, right? Yeah, that yeah. it's hard to, like, endorse it. Mm-hmm. Like, the first scene is um, a special ed class, and there's a bunch of, like, not actually special ed people acting like they're <laughs> mentally challenged. And then uh, a street gang, I think they're called the Diaper Gang, so it's a bunch of, like, murderers dressed up as, you know, babies come in and just uh, murder a bunch of the kids in the class and then Sean Gunn's in it and he plays like a Stephen Hawking type person so he's you know mm-hmm. doing his horrible impression of Stephen Hawking and it's yeah it's like ooh, it's awful not a good look but, it, um, but it, like the thing is is like I would expect that out of trauma you know like I, I don't expect them to be politically correct under any circumstances whatsoever yeah I'm like I'm not surprised but I'm just yeah. like wow it, like if you watch I'm sure in 2001 when it came out, it was like, oh, a little harmless. But now it's like, oh, man. It's like that movie The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville. I can take <laughs> it, but I don't know if the rest of the world could. Like, It's pretty subversive at this point. Yeah. Um, and then I also watched uh, Drive-In Massacre, which I think is from the very early 80s. And uh, it's so bad. Like, there's So there's a murderer at the drive-in. Like, There's just people in their cars and then... Um, out of nowhere, they get stabbed through the window or, uh, like, the door flies open and their throat gets cut and they just dangle out and just, like, gush blood. And then two detectives show up to the drive-in the next day and they interrogate the owner. And then there's some, like, janitor there who's, like, a little slow. And so they immediately think it's him. But the scene where they interrogate him goes on for, like, feels like half an hour of, like, one wide shot of, like, two guys opposite one other dude. Um, yeah, it's, like, so slow and boring. And then later on, there's, like, a chase through a warehouse because um, the cops are on the trail of this one guy. But it's it's a totally unrelated incident. And the whole chase amounts to an escape mental patient who just kidnapped his daughter. But they make you think leading up to it that it is the killer from the drive-in. Like, who's kidnapped? Yeah, it's it's awful. Um, I'm trying to make a drive-in movie, and I'm just like, oh, this is not the stuff I need to inspire that. So would you prefer, instead of the movie you just <laughs> described, a movie wherein people massacre anthropomorphized drive-ins? Like a walking, talking <laughs> drive-in? Yeah. <laughs> like the screen can just get up and walk away? Yeah, that might actually be more interesting. I, if you like the Iron Giant, you know, it just like morph like a transformer and then yeah. just like when a radioactive fire down on <laughs> each of the cars. and When yeah. a radioactive bomb hit the drive-in, it came alive! <laughs> And then I see it. Yeah. And then I watched uh, a movie that I think Ryan talked about before called Chopping Mall, which has oh. also had this game made episode. Yeah. Um, Those robots are interesting. Yeah. Totally misleading. There's no slasher in it. It's, it's robots. No one gets chopped. Um, <laughs> there's this mall. They implement this high-end security system that consists of three uh, state-of-the-art robots that will, like, tase you if you commit a crime at the mall. And everyone who works at the mall gets a badge that they would scan, and you'd be, um, you know, impervious to the robots. But then lightning strikes them all and uh, turns all the robots evil and they murder the security guard. Um, and most of the murders involve them like sticking out a robot hand and like pinching their, their throat. Um, 
And then there's a bunch of like teenagers who stay at the mall overnight to party, um, like in the mattress store, and they all bone each other. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and then the robots show up and start murdering all of them and just rolling through windows. And, uh, you know, if, if any of the kids went out to get cigarettes, you know, the robots would track them down. And they're like these short, dumpy, like Johnny Five type robots. Um, with very limited limited mobility, but somehow get around the mall like really quickly and easily. And there's a lot of just women screaming sound effects like constantly yep. um, to make things more interesting, but annoying to me. Uh, recycling. I didn't realize that was on Prime. I want to rewatch it now because yeah. I haven't heard how to just get made do it. So, um, and obviously the kids are all stupid on how to fight these things. Like there's like shotguns and AK-47s at the mall, so they arm themselves with that. And even though like no bullet ever damages the robots they still shoot at them um what else uh you know the smart thing would be and this doesn't happen until the end of the movie though the one girl who survives like tries to lay down what amounts to like fly paper but for like so she makes she she finds the hardware store and starts mixing a bunch of chemicals together and then basically creates like a paint sticky sticky paint situation the the robot kind of slips up so that's like something that i would have done way early on you know, instead of like getting all my friends murdered just by shooting guns at the clearly impervious to bullets robots who also shoot lasers, but even though they're robots, they're terrible shots. So there'll be like three guys standing next to each other. And then the, the little lasers will just fly through them, um, like 20 at a time and not hit anybody. Yeah. It's terrible. Not fun. Yep. Uh, let's see. So that's that. And then I watched, uh, some documentaries no it's one documentary no two uh one is awesome because it's about nintendo uh there's this guy uh who is a gamer and his buddy is making a documentary he's like hey you're a big nintendo guy i think you should go around the country don't use ebay i want you to find all 673 original nes cartridges and you have to do it in 30 days and own them all and so the his friend's like cool i'll do that um and so the documentary starts out... What's it called? It's called Nintendo Quest. Oh, okay. Um, so they start out t- giving you like a little backstory on like Nintendo and their rise to power in like the early 80s uh, with the NES console. And then um, like right out of the gate, they tell you, you know, there's like six or seven, maybe like 15 cartridges that are like really hard to find or they're really expensive. Um, so the Holy Grail find is called stadium 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 uh, stadium events mm-hmm. it's a game by bandai that was like uh some like it it wasn't the game that came with the power pad but it like highlighted the features of it right uh but there's so little of them uh, out there so on ebay they show you if you bought it would be like seventy seven thousand dollars <laughs> yeah in the box and everything or it might have been out of box on that one but yeah, so it's super rare, and you know, if he's going to complete the quest, he's going to have to somehow get that for really cheap. Um, and then um, there's there's another one called Little Samson, which is also rare. So it's like three thousand dollars or something, but not as close. But anyway, so uh, as you go along, you kind of like right. Uh, <laughs> that's just that walking around. Um, he takes out a bunch of them like right away. And then like, I think the last 20 days or so is like going like he's in, he starts in Canada. He lives there and eventually he goes like, as, I think as far South as Georgia or Texas mm-hmm. going just like 
mom and pop game stores trying to find uh, everything. It's it's cool to see um, the different collections that people have. As some people uh, in Canada, like he mostly goes to his friends first who have big collections. So you mm-hmm. get to go down to the basement and see everyone's like personal stuff, and you're just like, wow, all this Nintendo memorabilia and um, and then uh, as you go along, you find out like um, his personal history and uh there's like this sad part where he talks about like how his dad was an asshole and um then he dies like a heart attack and he almost like the kid doesn't care or feel anything for it because the guy was such a tyrant um so that's like a sad part of the story but um yeah the the uh i guess the real drama is as he gets closer and closer to the 30-day deadline um he, he comes across stadium events twice um and has a deal going that is like you know the guy wants him to pay him over the internet before he sends the cartridge out um obviously he's not going to spend like the guy wants four thousand for it uh and obviously he's not gonna just like give up four thousand dollars um and then he finds this other collector guy uh who has two copies of it (laughs) um and the guy you know he just goes there to see the collection he doesn't like say like oh i want to get this from you but when he does get there he's like you know, I'd like to buy all these other games, but I mean, you have two copies of this. I'll just be right honest. Like, I just want to get, if nothing else, I just want to get this one thing. Um, so anyway, uh, it's it's pretty cool to see all the uh, different Nintendo history things and like the like the stories behind some of the games that are like more important than others and like why. Right. And actually, the last one on this like top twenty list, I have. So I'm pretty really? excited that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters. Um, nice. Apparently, is a rare find. I, I on eBay was like one hundred sixty-seven dollars. This makes me feel even worse for not grab like making sure that I got those games for you that I found at work. I feel like I swear, like I, I, I wouldn't say I swear, but when I was working at GameStop and Game Crazy, I think stadium events did come through, and this is like two thousand, two thousand one. So I'm pretty sure like the rarity wasn't that right, like well known yet. Mm-hmm. I think it came through and like. Oh, like, it just looks like such a... It's a sports game. Like, most sports games don't have any value. But it would have to do within the production line or something like that. Something like some industrial element of it. Yeah, I forget why it's like... It was so... like They explain why it was so few produced. Isn't uh, it because, remember. like, they ended up rebranding it as something else? I thought I read this. Yeah, something about the rights or something. Like, uh, like Bandai made it, but Nintendo didn't give permission to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or license Because the official Nintendo seal of quality was, like, a later adopted thing that was really important. Because so many people are making, like... You know, bootleg games, um, Super Dario Argento, without going through Nintendo. So, um, so yeah, that is interesting. The only thing is, like, the people in it aren't that compelling. Like, the kid is, you know, it's, it's cool he's doing this, but he's not like, like this. You say it, a kid? How old is he? Um, actually, he's probably like thirty. Sorry, <laughs> but like, he's he's just like not a professional. He's he's like a musician. Uh, so it just kind of feels immature. Mm. Um. You know, and he, but somehow has access to a ton of money to buy like this whole collection. Um, and he has to learn how to negotiate because he doesn't just uh, initially starts out buying everything for sticker price. But when he realizes, you know, he's got to like pace himself, he, you know, tries to, he does learn how to like be a good negotiator and um, talk certain stores and be like, you know, I'm buying like 20 of these. Can I just get like 10 bucks off or something so I can like continue my quest? Um, does it say at the end how much he ends up spending? Uh, I don't think they, yeah, I don't think they did the whole total, but he does, he, I guess I'll spoil it. He doesn't complete the goal 
until like after. So in 30 days, he's missing like 20 of the games. Um, but then there's like a PS where he does, you know, a couple months later, he does have them all because he eventually just uses eBay to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's like a story connected to the stadium events, how he acquires that, which is like the special part. Nice. Um, I also watched Clifford, which is like a Martin Short movie. Oh, from not the 90s. like the animated Clifford not the, the big, big red, red dog. dog. No. Okay. no, the Martin Short film. Yeah. Um, I've never seen this, but I've heard things. Yeah, I grew up like uh, like I had some friends that were like, it was this was one of their like favorite movies. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I watched it once, and then uh, it came up on my radar again because Alamo, I guess, is doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just happened to be on Prime, so I was like, oh, I'll just skip to the you know, yeah, skip the Alamo. Um, and that's like, it's a tough movie to watch because. Martin Short plays this, he's playing a boy, um, and they, it's cleverly framed so that, you know, this old man, older man, like, he's probably in his 30s by, in, like when it came out, but, he, you know, he looks short compared mm-hmm. to, like, uh, Charles Grodin and everybody else, so it's, like, shot cleverly, but, like, the whole story is that Clifford is, like, this really spoiled brat who wants to go to Dinosaur World, and he, like, subverts a plane flight um, by almost crashing the plane, to get his parents to drop him off with his uncle, Charles Grodin, who is, you know, trying to redesign the LA transit system and also um, on the verge of marrying Mary Steenburgen. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's upset with him because she's like, oh, you know, you have made no uh, signals that you like kids or enjoy kids. So he's like, oh, this opportunity that my nephew is in town to present himself, you know, I'll prove to her that he, you know, I can be, you know, a dad. And then, of course, Clifford is out to sabotage any attempt to go uh for he's out to uh he wants to go to dinosaur world and he gets his uncle to promise to take him there but obviously work gets in the way he can't take him and then clifford just seeks revenge on anyone who crosses him so he's like this really shitty kid and he does like horrible horrible things to people where i'm just like Ugh. like there's there's not really like anyone to root for and eventually you know he drives charles his uncle insane um and he starts doing bad things to people you know to get back at clifford like so one. is this a comedy or a drama? It's supposed to be a comedy, but it's like so mean spirited, and it's like it just I I feel dirty. Like a dark comedy. Yeah, and it starts out like it's, it starts with Clifford's in the future as a uh, he becomes um, a priest, um, and some kid like screws up, and he's like, you know, let me tell you a story of you know why you should be a good person, but yeah, it goes back to him being this little shit, um, and then you know it. The problem is it takes like a near death experience for him to like turn around. Um, and like, he makes no progress throughout the movie until then. So it's just like, it just feels disingenuous. Mm. Like, oh, well, we just need to wrap this up and make him a good person. But like, there's no other string of events that like convinces him to, he falls in love with Mary Steenburgen. Um, so he's, you know, trying to sabotage that relationship. Um, it's like, it's, I think he's a 12 year old boy as a character. It's like, oh, that's gross. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, and then the newer stuff I watched, I rewatched Blaze of Glory, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the the uh, Will Ferrell and Napoleon Dynamite skate movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really silly, but I like it. it's fun. Um, and I got to watch Baywatch, the one from last year, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it's just there. It's it. it 
I don't know. To me, it's like it's trying to be 21 Jump Street. And it doesn't know how. It's it's equal parts, like, too tame, but also, like, really raunchy at the same time. So it's, the tone is all over the place. Um, and the story just isn't that compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then... It's, it's fucking lifeguard detectives. Like, you can only stretch it so far. Yeah. And it, it's... It, <coughs> It understands, like, what it is, because in the movie they talk about, like, um, what's his name? High School Musical. Zach Efron. Yeah, he's, like, saying, like, he's making the case, like, why are we doing all this? Like, we're just lifeguards. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Dwayne his Johnson is, mo- like, his, trying to solve a murder. His character is the most intelligent in the entire movie. Yeah. I, 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 like, there are parts of Dwayne Johnson's performance that I really do enjoy in that film, but, like, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, after I was done watching that on Prime, it, like, showed, you can also watch the extended cut. I was like, ah. Oh. I would just watch that to begin with to get it all out of the way. Um, so, yeah. And then the last thing I saw was Jaws was at the Esquire Midnight last week. And I hadn't watched that in, I don't know, since the mid-2000s. Um, and that was pretty good, except for the people talking constantly. How does it hold up? Um, Like, I wasn't like, oh, this is like a great movie to begin with. But it was entertaining for what it was. Um, Are you afraid to go swimming in no. the ocean? Are you afraid of Roy Scheider? Why would anyone be afraid of Richard? Are you afraid of Robert Shaw? No. Have you seen the uh, film theory about that? No. About Jaws? That something about how the shark is all in his head because he's a recovering alcoholic or something. <sighs> he's like drunk off his ass through most of the movie. No, because I don't want to think about dumb theories. I want the. I want to. I want them to realize it's a shark. It's well, how, there. How do they explain? Uh, well, not like Richard the, sh- and not like the shark is totally in his head. I don't no. remember. It's been a while since I saw the theory, but mm. something about how his drinking makes it seem like it's a bigger issue than it really is. Oh, that makes that that's interesting. But it's interesting. I'll find oh, it yeah. and I'll send it to yeah. you guys. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing this. Yeah, because yeah. uh, like it's a cool like it's a cool idea if because that would make sense. But this the fact that the rest of the town is in on it. Because they want that sweet tourism, and money three people have died. So, yeah. <laughs> um, like, I guess maybe if it's it was all more a dream, like the final conflict was in his head or something. Yeah, uh, I didn't remember it well, so it, it did transpire like different. Like I was like, you know, the the my memory of the movie was going, and then it was constantly subverting it because I thought Richard Dreyfus died at the end. Um, oh no, that's where I saw it. It's Robert Shaw. Yeah, I thought they got. I both. I thought they both got eaten, but. Clearly, it didn't. So they did. They, I mean, they have HD now. They're at the Esquire. Had the print look. Like, was it just like straight up like Blu-ray quality and whatnot? Yeah, I think it was a digital copy. So must look nice. The first um, fifteen minutes of that movie still look amazing. Like the the better quality it gets, you know. I was taking aback how all the scenes Spiel, Spielberg directs it, so people are constantly talking over each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like stuff going in the background, and so all the audio jumbles together. But that's like so he's shooting it like it's actually happening mm-hmm. as it would in the real world. Um, like no one's really like, I guess there's very like, little space in between. Like, yeah. I guess it's for expo- like it kind of, I guess diffuses the exposition because it, it feels like people are just, they're not telling it to the audience. They're telling it to each other because they're in that moment. They, yeah. they're not, they so don't have feels- to go into expo- expository dump. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. S- sweet. Um, like oh, it was a crack.com. It said the scarier story you missed in the background of Jaws. Cracked? 
So yeah, it's probably a joke article. <laughs> That's cool. Basically saying how the main guy is an alcoholic. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's that one scene where he basically drinks all the wine he yeah. brings over. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm forgetting something. But anyway. Yeah. That's what I watched this week. And now we get to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, this week we watched... <laughs> What'd you watch, Zach? Oh, sorry. I, I, was, I was falling asleep from Brad talking. Um... Actually, not a whole lot, but there are two things I wanted to bring up from last week that I did not mention. Um, I put out the new Clint Eastwood article, um, and they discussed two films because we're basically playing category catch-up so that we can get to the Westerns and finish this sucker once and for all. Um, So the first film was Breezy, which is a film he directed um, but did not star in, and it has William Holden, who was a matinee idol in the 40s and 50s, and Kay Lenz, who was a 70s star. Wasn't he in the 1950s version of Sabrina? I believe so, yeah. Matinee. I, yeah, like I, said, I think matinee. they had like an affair or something. Him and Audrey Hepburn. I, I, I'm not I'm particularly familiar with that story. But anyway, William Holden um, is in it. He plays an older man who falls in love with Kay Lenz, who's a younger hitchhiking woman in the early 70s. It, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, what do you call it? Like, it's one of those made September romances, quote unquote, or I guess I would say like, like even further than that, like summer, winter kind of spring and winter romance. Cause she's really young. Um, but it, it's, it's basically about him learning to f- be happy again. And it's okay. It's not, it, it seems that it doesn't live up to any potential it could have given the time that it was made. And since this is like amongst the first films, he ends up directing as a director. It seems like Clint Eastwood is, trying to push something but doesn't know how to do it whereas in his directorial debut play misty for me he knows exactly what he wants to do to push this like true tension and terror but with this story i don't think he knows exactly how to do it um and this film was shelved for um a couple years before universal finally released it so um i mean like that would give you a sense of it it's not terrible like it's not unwatchable but it is like it's slow and it is incredibly 70s so it, it dates itself at times. Um, but the other one I watched was Mystic River, and Mystic River is still a fucking masterpiece. Like, that, if he did nothing else, like, if he was never a um, uh, an actor, if he was just a director, and he only did the films that he's done without um, acting in them, like, he'd still be amongst the greatest filmmakers for Mystic River, because that is genuinely a wonderful, horribly depressing film about grief and loss, and it's incredibly entertaining and watch and watchable um if you've ever seen it it's uh uh it's about three friends who are uh, a childhood something happens to them in their childhood that tears them apart and then they're brought back together by another tragedy when sean penn's wife dies um and so it's it, it if you've never seen it before it would be unfair for me to tell you what happens within the first 20 to 30 minutes exactly because it sets the stage for a lot of introspective views on grief and loss and stuff like, and you have to kind of go on the journey. Like it would be unfair for you to know something like prior. It's like, it's a big spoilery issue. Like knowing Sean Penn's daughter dies is not even the half of it. So, um, uh, but it's wonderful. I mean, I, I, I could care less about Sean Penn. I guess I'm not like vitriolic against him. Like Ryan is, I guess sometimes, but, um, I, he's great in this film. Uh, Tim Robbins is like steals this show as 
um, uh, the person who's like the the one to like look out for, I guess, in this scenario. Kevin Bacon's great in it too. Lawrence Fishburne's in it as well. Um, and it's beautifully shot, and it, it like I said, like it, and I put it in the article. If Lord of the Rings: Return of the King or like uh, like hadn't have been the film to win that year, it would have gone to Mystic River because it's that like solid a film. Um, but on the um, uh, other things that I've watched this week, um, I got a Criterion of His Girl Friday, uh, the Howard Hawks film from 1940 with Cary Grant and uh, Rosalind Russell. So I put that in. I hadn't watched it in a while, and I love that movie. But Is that it, the one where his like he's doing a thing with like his ex wife? Like that's her. She's his ex wife, and Carrie, he's like trying to recruit her to work for him or something. Cary Grant plays Walter Burns, the editor of a of a newspaper, and his ex wife Rosalind Russell is trying to leave the newspaper game and get married and live in Albany with Ralph Bellamy. Um, but they get she gets pulled into a story. Uh, of a man who's about to be executed and basically like the whole movie is centered around trying to find out how this guy could be innocent or at least like reprieve from death and it's a screwball comedy but like also it's based on a play called the front page um which was a big hit back in its day in the 20s and it's and the play itself is loaded with a lot of political and social commentary of the time some of which while you can still watch His Girl Friday, it is inc- it, there is a lot of incredibly dated uh, stuff happening in there. Like that, it, like it, it, it's not exactly relatable to today in terms of its specifics, but in terms of its overall tone and theme, it is incredibly relatable still. Um, what's interesting about the Criterion release, which they did a beautiful job of cleaning it up, um, is that they also included the film The Front Page, which was adapted in 1931 by Lewis Milestone and Howard Hughes. And they did a 4K restoration on it, and I just finished that today. And the difference is is that in the original play, uh, the Rosalind Russell character in His Girl Friday is actually a man. And in the front page version, he's played by Pat O'Brien, who was uh, a frequent co-star of Jimmy Cagney. Um, And Adolph Manju plays the Cary Grant role in this original one. Um, What's interesting about like watching them side by side, I guess, is that his girl Friday is like a well-respected, well-regarded, um, like screwball comedy. It's like immensely watchable and it like moves at rapid pace. So like, it's entertaining to watch the front page of the earlier adaptation by milestone is, is 10 minutes longer than his girl Friday and incredibly indulgent, but I love it for uh on the same level as i love his girl friday but for completely different reasons it's almost like watching someone do a michael bay version of the play and then watching someone do like a quentin tarantino version of the play because one is much more dialogue heavy and like lingers on stuff and actually has interesting camera angles whereas and and movements for that matter but also on the other end you have one that moves at a rapid fire pace and things happen in a much more action heavy momentum so it's 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 pretty interesting to watch them back to back and kind of like, because like I love His Girl Friday unconditionally, but the front page might be one of the most interesting Howard Hughes productions and one of the, certainly one of the best Lewis Milestone films I've ever seen. Um, and like it was actually a treat to watch it for the first time. Like I like it when there's a film from that period that I have not seen, and there are plenty um, that I can watch and be like, oh wow, I can't believe I never knew this existed. Um, and the Criterion's great. They've got great features on Howard Hawks, who was a genius director, um, who 
gave the world Bogart and Bacall and whatnot. And there's a bit on Rosalind Russell. Commentaries are great. So, yeah, I mean. I tried to watch His Girl Friday a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. I think I got maybe 20 minutes in and I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Was just just because they were talking too fast, or well, it was the dialogue was just so weird. Like I love old movies and I love Cary Grant. Like mm-hmm. oof, he is talented mm-hmm. <laughs> and handsome, but more so talented. Yeah, but yeah, I think it was just especially like between him and um, Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell's character. They kept saying each other's names like every line. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember what their names are, but it's like, well, what do you think, Jenny? Oh, uh, I uh, think you're a turd, Smith. Ah, well, uh, Jenny, I think you're the worst. Bur- Burns and um, ha- um, Hildy, yeah. Which you'd think I would be able to remember it since they say it every other line, but... It, you know what's funny? I think that, like, this is the Cary Grant movie where Cary Grant is technically an unlikable person, at least for the majority of the first half. Because he is, like, Ralph Bellamy has never won anything ever <laughs> in the history of Hollywood in terms of, like, his char- the characters he plays. Um, and because uh, he, he's always played, like, the best friend or, like, the third wheel who gets screwed over. Like, he was really good at that character. And watching him in his Fr- Girl Friday again, it was a constant reminder throughout the film of, like, Ralph Bellamy was fucking talented. And Cary Grant's really talented, too, and I love him to death. In His Girl Friday, though, he is, like, very present for the first 20 to 30 minutes of the film, then disappears for a big majority, and then comes back in. And so, like, he almost feels intrusive at points, but it's understandable because we are really trying to follow Rosalind Russell at that point. And I think maybe that was another reason I didn't really like the first part of it was because he just seemed so pushy. Uh, he was just trying to like insert himself into their life yeah and break up that marriage and keep Mm -hmm. her on the paper and whatnot and 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 the the whole concept of the front page itself and like that story and however you choose to tell it is really interesting and it's it's pretty fascinating so but yeah if you criterion's doing a wholesale at barnes and nobles this entire month so if you want to pick up a fun screwball comedy with plenty of features i would check out his girl friday i mean Um, i know ryan watched it this week too I, i really wanted to talk to him about it but um, or maybe I'll just buy Casablanca. No, well, actually, the, this is not something I watched, but I started reading the, the this book called uh, We'll Always Have Casablanca, which I love, like, anything related to that film. And what I love more specifically is, like, as anniversaries come up, new information seems to kind of, like, surface and stuff because people then are like, oh, I'm about to die. I guess I'll talk. <laughs> um, and this one's, like, pretty, like, reflective of, like, what the legacy of that film is at this point. Um, I'm not too far into it yet, but I, I like it. Like so, yeah, check it out. But anyway, that's all I watched this week. Cool. This week we watched Ant Man and the Wasp. Corinne, should people watch Ant Man and the Wasp? Uh, like, here's the thing about this movie. In my opinion, I had fun. I didn't walk out of the theater like ah, that was such a waste of time. But I think this movie has problems. And it, we've had a lot of really great Marvel movies recently. We had Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther. We had, you know, amazing Marvel's uh, Avengers Infinity War. All those, in my opinion, are fantastic movies. This is very middle of the road. 
especially for a Marvel film. And again, I haven't seen the first Ant-Man in a while, but it feels very much like the first Ant-Man. There's not a lot going for it. I think the writing has problems. I think the pacing and the editing has problems. But it has a tremendous cast, and it has good moments of, of humor, and I think actually the special effects were pretty good. So if you just want like a popcorn flick, or if you like the first Ant-Man, yeah, go see it. But if you expect more from your Marvel movies, then maybe just wait till Captain Marvel. Zach? Um, I'm in the opposite camp, although I see uh, Crin's point. I think you should see it. I... I I I haven't seen the first Ant Man since the theaters uh, when I saw it in Costa Mesa um, three years ago, and it was nice to re-enter that world that they set up in the first one without feeling like I like missed anything. Um, Paul Rudd's great in it. Evangeline Lilly's really good in it. I was actually surprised how uh, how great Michael Douglas in this film is compared to what I remember of him being in the first one because he's a little more emotionally invested in this film, in my opinion. Um, and the whole cast across the board is great. The the gal who plays Ghost is pretty fucking good. Um, although I do, I do have a problem with that villain, and we'll talk about it later. But um, and the visual effects are fucking awesome. So yeah, I think you should. I mean, it, yeah, and I mean, yeah, and there's a post credit sequence that you absolutely should watch. So why not go see this movie? Um, I I I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, I didn't like it as much as the original Ant-Man and I'm saying all this with the caveat that um, the screening I went to featured the return of Snort the guy who constantly like snorted through Tag the preview of Tag that I saw he followed you back? I don't know if he wasn't following me but he just coincidentally just I can't believe I went to two screenings with this guy just when you thought the night war was over <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so it was it was <laughs> Snort. Like Wait, every was he couple... trying to laugh, or does he just have like he some... problems? Yeah, he must have some kind of old, like yeah, some septum. Sinus, probably sinus, sinus issue. thing, sinus infection. Yeah. Um, yeah. and he doesn't apologize for it. Um, <laughs> so he is a strong, independent sinus infected man, and he don't need no one to tell him what to do. Like it's so obnoxious. Um, I I don't know how other people get through the movie. And so anyway, I was completely distracted a lot of the time. Um, I went from having a great seat right up front in the middle to moving all the way off to the left side uh, as far as I could get. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, there's it's fun, and Paul Rudd and the jokes all make it entertaining. The story, though, seems very weak to me, and it's also there's some, for a professional movie, there's a lot of weird edits which must mean there's some bonus content that, you know, will probably end up on the DVD, but it, a lot of scenes end in weird places. Um, and it, the story jumps around, uh, to times we're just wondering, okay, I guess they're just doing this next. Um, so some of it's confusing. And then, uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, post credits thing is pretty, pretty sweet. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I think we all saw that coming. So it's, it, the surprise isn't as strong as I think it would be yeah. had another movie not come out ahead of it. Yeah. Um, so it should be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, let's roll the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, how long have you been Ant-Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I wish I could fight bad guys like you. 
I seem to mess it up almost every time. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Hi! Like a partner. Dr. Pym, I actually heard what happened to you. You opened up the quantum realm. That's when his crazy could be ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. And now she wants to take over the world or whatever. Who would have believed that in your hour of need, you would turn to us? Not me. Because I mean, we robbed you. Do you remember? That's us. The only chance we've got is both of you. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. Follow my lead. She seems more intense. You go low, I'll go high. I have wings. Why would I go low? We're gonna die. I don't wanna die. We didn't die. Hey, what I miss? We were just tiny. I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath. How big did you get? My record, 21 feet. You? 65 feet. 65. If you two are finished comparing sizes... 65. I... I want to get my problem with it out of the way. Um, my... If I have an, my issue with this film ultimately is that they stuff in too many villains and in weird places. I was um, about to say the same yeah. thing. As much because I really like the the idea of ghost and like this being a personal vendetta issue, because like the that would kind of align with the first Ant Man to a degree. Because if you just have the Walton Goggins character like as your main villain throughout the entire thing, it would be like weak sauce. So having her works, but I don't like the fact that like it turns into this three-way chase for everything because it makes that final action sequence, no matter how well choreographed and executed it is, it's still confusing because I'm I, I'm trying to focus on Ghost because I'm more emotionally invested in her, but I also know that Walton Goggins' goons are going to give me more of a fun action time. So it's like it's splitting my attention in a weird way. And also, I think a lot of the problems with this movie are incorporating all of those storylines into the plot. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have the scene where Ghost explains why she's doing what she's doing. Then you also have to have the scene where um, the southern dude, Goggins' character, mm -hmm. um, you know, where he goes to interrogate um, <laughs> Paul Rudd's friends. With the true serum. I was hoping for Louise stories, and the way we got Louise stories was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie had way too much going on in terms of mm. the plot, which uh, I know sounds weird considering we just came off of Infinity War, where we had like 800 billion storylines, but that movie was way longer, and we built up to it a lot more. I think this should have just had Ghost in it, 
I didn't need the Goggins dude character. Like, Ghost and them trying to get back um, the old Wasp, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, plenty of stuff going on. I don't need Ant-Man's new company that he's setting up with his friends. I don't need the southern dude trying to get a billion dollars for quantum stuff. It's, I think it's, it's such a short movie. You could have a lot more fun with the characters you already have than trying to pack more in. It is true. And if you stick to just it being about him making up for screwing Hope and uh, Hank over by going to Germany with Cap in Civil War and making that your through line a little bit more... Um, that would have helped, but that's there's a lot of like padding here that may not have been needed. That's what I was confused about. It's like the movie's called Ant Man and the Wasp, and there's really there's no really conflict of dynamic between you know, the trailer has the most of it, where she's like upset that he didn't include her as it, like in that mission. But aside from that, like the rest of the movie is really just like trying to rescue um, Janet Van Dyne. Mm-hmm. Like that's really the story. Um, and the other frustrating thing for me was like Ghost really can't wait five minutes while they like rescue Janet Van Dyne, who might have powers that can help her. Um, so that just feels like a little anticlimactic of like, you know, there's no reason for her to be like, I, I understand she's upset that she's going to die like within a few days, but th- that timeline isn't the same as like we like we have to rescue Janet within the next 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't understand why she can't wait. Like this, this just feels so forced. And then when they finally do rescue her, it's just like all this arbitrary, like Janet Van Dyne has powers to heal her. No, no. I, I know, I know it's complete fantasy. Like a lot of the powers of people in the Marvel movies, but that just seems like, you know, really out of left field. Um, I think mm. they should have rescued her earlier in the third act, I think the third act should have started with them getting her out of the quantum realm. Then she could have been a part of the final action sequence with just Ghost versus... Because, like, Ghost has, like, the coolest powers ever. She's, like, the Martian Manhunter I always wanted, right? Like, I, I really want a Martian Manhunter movie, you guys. But I would have loved to have seen, like, maybe Ghost has, like, some goons or something. But anyway, like, a final action sequence where you can use janet's powers against ghost and ultimately figure out oh wait i have the key the tools that she needs to be healed or whatever it is and i appreciate they didn't like kill her off or anything like she might even be like part of their team in a future movie so that's like a nice change of pace well if she doesn't have her powers then true but i mean she has that suit so they might be able to modify it to I mean, whatever Janet. Could, I'm sure Janet. Maybe could she can be able to control yeah. her powers better. I feel like this film has the like it's twofold. It, one, it has the unfortunately like like daunting task of following up what we got with Infinity War, and it's got to make it as fun as possible. So I think I, I'm not sure what was left on the cutting room floor story wise or scene wise, but. Maybe there's a more extensive uh, film uh, version of the film out there. Maybe I don't. I'm not gonna fall into the whole bring back Justice League's Zack Snyder cut thing. But you know, like if th- this film probably had to be poppy and light and as fun as it was, quote unquote, to like get you over that Infinity War postpartum thing. Well, it was always it was always gonna do its own thing, no matter what Infinity yeah. War does. It's just, um, but like. 
I appreciate that it like I don't feel like it doubled down on the humor. I think it had the right tone of humor that it needed to have, in the same way the first one did, where it's still a Marvel movie, but it is funnier than most. Yeah, I think it's, the best part of it is Paul Rudd always trying to get get back to being under house arrest to prove that he's still there. Like those are the most clever and fun parts for me. Yeah, um, and then of course with his daughter, um, those exchanges. Like the movie starts out great with the whole like he built a cardboard um, mm-hmm. like adventure right. house, mm-hmm. um, and then it leads into explaining like oh he's been under house arrest that, that's why it's so elaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, but then yeah like it, after that it just it jumps around so much of uh, like um, of just the things people explaining away things like you know he falls asleep and he wakes up and like the the tracking cuff is on the ant um, and then they're jumping between the lab here and then ghost place. And it's just like, I don't know, a little confused. It just feels like there's, there's connecting scenes missing mm. in the edit. To I me. really like the action scenes in this movie, which some, so it was a lot of the Marvel movies recently. Their action scenes have felt kind of boring or just very rote. Like, okay, no, we're going to have this again, but just seeing the interaction of the powers and like seeing things shrink or seeing the, like the Pez dispenser get bigger like that was a lot of fun. I don't understand the gag of him abandoning the giant suit. Um, it was to distract them so they could get away or something. But they had already gotten away. Like I don't. So they can get. Well, they into needed the to house. shrink the building. Remember on the wharf. Okay. They needed to shrink it so they could take it away. Oh, and so, so they making the giant so because you could see in like that one shot how like the wharf was like way over there, but the suit was over here, and all the FBI go to where the suit is because they think it's you know Ant Man, and they're gonna arrest him, but then the suit like deflates and then shrinks, and they're like, oh wait, that's not Ant Man, and then the like at the same time in the background you can see the building shrink too. Okay, that makes sense. As yeah, far I- as I remember. Speaking of uh, the FBI in this film, though, I like that uh, the agent, I can't remember his name, but Randall Park, I think his name yeah. is. Mm-hmm. He's really funny in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His, whole, Asian like, gym on his, the his, his whole freaking uh, uh, explanation to Paul Rudd's kid, why like he's qualified to talk to Trump, like, yeah, I'm also a youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this, I, I feel like the Stan Lee cameos get better for me each time because they make him say more ridiculous things. But I liked this one a lot from an adult perspective. Like, well, the 60s were fun, and now I'm paying for it. (laughs) I will say the movie's called Ant-Man and the Wasp. And when the movie started and we kind of got the scene of, like, the whole backstory with Janet shrinking and this kind of connection of um, Hank and Hope are going to look for her. And then also Paul Rudd needs to be there because it's Ant-Man and the Wasp. But I thought Wasp was going to have more of the focus. And it seemed like she did that first third. But then as the movie went on, they got farther away from that, I felt like. So, I mean, Ant-Man already had his own movie. I wanted to see the Wasp kind of have her own movie. I mean, I know Ant-Man has to be there, but. Like the movie could have been like uh, Ant-Man colon Quantum Realm. Because like the movie's about trying to get to the Quantum Realm and rescuing her mom. But it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, so like, it was kind of a mis- misleading to go in, like, oh, it's going to be about them figuring out how to be the best team possible. Mm-hmm. And they don't really accomplish that. Yeah. But um, I also like how they kind of, like I said, like feels like they delve more into Hank's regrets in this film in a way that I was 
actually happy to see because like in the first film like they touch on it but it's it's not as like it's not as big a focus as like even Evangeline Lilly's like frustrations with her father and stuff and like it but it's like so it's one central regret but in this one you know like it's the point is made in an intelligent way that Hank Pym's not a great guy or at least he's not a good partner he's not a great partner and like and it which I think is a more intel. This was a more intelligent way to do it than to make him a wife Peter, like he is in the comics. So I'm glad that they've sidestepped that while still making him an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm also really surprised that they did not kill him off. I thought they were going to go w- at the end whenever you know they're trying to come back from the quantum realm. I thought they're going to go the How to Train Your Dragon two route, where the mom comes back into the picture, but the dad dies. Yeah. And I thought, oh, you know, that scene where, like, Janet comes out of the pod thing and hugs Hope, and then you don't see Hank. You're like, wait, where's Hank? Did he die? And then he pops out like, oh, nobody, like, cares about me over here. Like, actually, I'm fine. I actually thought they were probably going to kill off Michelle Pfeiffer right away with, like, the ghost element. But, like, thankfully, they did not. I think she should have been in this movie more. I know she's a big name, and she's probably got other things going on, but... Murder on the Orient Express 2. <laughs> I, I think she should have been in the movie more. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter which one of uh, us thought who should die because we should talk about that post-credit sequence for a quick second. I knew it was going to happen before I, it happened. I knew it too, but leaving him in the quantum realm raises a question, like, or I guess possibilities for me, like knowing how they're going to reverse some stuff because they they mentioned something about time molecules or something like that. Some, something that was supposed to help their friend to help Ghost, but. Also, like I said, it's been a while since I saw the first Ant-Man. How is it that he was able to come back from the quantum realm, but she wasn't? Maybe something happened to her suit. It was an older model suit, so... Yeah, I think the the new suit that um, Scott gets, I think, is just... uh, Somehow is a little more advanced, so he's able to, like, reverse it. Okay. Whereas, yeah, I guess when Hank and Janet were those characters, they didn't have that option. Okay. Why does he need the tunnel to go back, then? It's theoretically a sa- it, well, it's theoretically a safer way to do it because oh. then you can put in that um, that that uh, shrinking car um, or shrinking like scuba machine, whatever it is. It is. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do that. He just goes in his suit. No, but he goes inside the little like. But he go- but he travels to that point inside his little like underwater thing like that. Did he? The no. ship thing. Yeah. No, he's just in his suit. Hank Pym? No, I'm talking about Scott. No, Scott just doesn't in the suit, yeah. Yeah, but... I'm talking about Scott. Yeah. No. But so... you're asking why they need the quantum tunnel. The quantum tunnel is only in this one. It's not in the in the uh in the first, first one. one. Right. That's what I'm saying is why does he need I know why Hank needs the pod thing, but why does Scott need the tunnel to go into the quantum realm when the in the first movie he just did it using his suit he just used the little he shrunk himself so tiny yeah i don't know mm-hmm. also does that mean he can just get out of it if i mean that's how he came back in the first movie maybe it's more complicated than that so i don't know that's another fun thing is uh i appreciated story-wise his, his suit malfunctioning so much like mm-hmm. set up some fun opportunities for scenes um Honestly, when they did that scene at the school where he steals the thing back from his from his daughter, 
I thought that they were going to have, like, the kids come in and there was going to be, like, a whole gag mm-hmm. with that. But I was actually kind of glad that they just kind of moved on to the next thing. And I liked the interaction in the van of, like, you want a juice box? <laughs> I was school you today. <laughs> it reminded me of the baby leg scene from Deadpool 2. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cool. I, that might have been the funniest part of the movie for me. Also that and when uh, Michael Pena's character, like, kind of recounts... <laughs> <laughs> their whole <laughs> origin Scott's. story. Yeah. <laughs> Did they make out like that in the first movie? I don't remember. I think you might have exaggerated. They're like, man, yeah. you're going to find the one. They're like, dude, like we're going to be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> where's Scott? <laughs> well, I can tell you where he's at emotionally. One of the funniest <laughs> things I've seen. Literally. <laughs> yeah. One of the funniest things I've seen this year is Evangeline and Lily talking uh, physically, but Michael Pena's voice coming out of yeah. mouth. That's fun. <laughs> Cool. Well, I next week I think we're seeing Hotel Transylvania three skyscraper or or skyscraper. Yeah, throw that to Ryan, I guess. I mean, I might not be here, so you may not be here. Yeah, I got to shoot a movie. You you shooting a movie? Yeah. What's it? What's it called? Trauma. Trauma. Sure. Trauma. What? Better than Twombly two. Yep. I don't know. I didn't give you permission to take over my story. (laughs) You lost the rights when you went to L.A. I, I, what? I, lo- I lost the rights to my brain? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Well, enjoy Hotel Transylvania or Skyscraper. Yeah. Or both. Thanks for coming on again, Corinne. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much, Corinne.